All right, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We were, have been going with our student ministry. We've been going through Psalm 119. We had taken a little break. We launched a new series on Wednesday night called Virtue. And we're looking at uh, Ruth and Boaz and the virtue that they had in the scriptures. Um, but I want to let these guys know the virtue thing was not too big of an ADD moment. We are going to finish Psalm 119 this summer. So we're looking at that in, in uh, Sunday school. But we haven't gotten to cover this stanza yet, so this should be new for everybody, and I'm looking forward to it today. So Psalm 119, and if you would look there with me in verse 113. The scripture here says, verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments." We are going to see through this psalm that there was never an instance in the scriptures of someone believing God and it not turning out good for them in the end. We're going to see a contrast in this stanza, a great contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And uh, we're going to look at some prophetic things this morning. But I want you to keep this in mind. When people do not trust and believe and follow God's word, no matter how it may look to us, it is not going to end well for them. But on the flip side of that, that as we trust God and obey his word and live for him, no matter how it looks, in the end, it's going to turn out well for us. We'll start here. Uh, The first point I want us to look at this morning is the casting down of vain thoughts. The casting down of vain thoughts. He says in verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Now, right away in modern Christianity, uh, many, many Christians today, just they have a, uh, a trembling of the word hate and the fact that a believer would actually hate something. Well, if you, he says here he hates vain thoughts. Um, you know, vain thoughts. Well, what is vanity? It's the stuff of which rocks dream. You guys remember that from pastor preaching through Ecclesiastes. You guys, what do rocks dream about? All right. Yeah, good. Nothing. <laughs> What's in your head right now? Nothing. All right, good. We're, we're on, on track. Vain thoughts are to be hated. Look at verse, uh, we're going to look at the same chapter, Psalm 119. Look at verse 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. You see, when, you, when we realize the understanding and the truth that we get from God's Word, we hate it when people lie about this book. We hate it when they say uh, that, that's it, that this isn't true. Well, no, this is where I get understanding, so I hate every false way. Look at verse 127. He says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. 
And again, to address this idea that that's just not very loving, uh, hold your place here and look at Revelation chapter 2. We'll be right back here, so hold, hold Psalm 119. But look at Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 5 and 6 here. This is the Lord speaking to this church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove, will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so the Lord does not reprove the church at Ephesus for hating a false way. He doesn't reprove them for that. He commends them for that and says, you know what? As a matter of fact, I hate that way too. And uh, just very briefly, the Nicolaitans, uh, Nico means uh, it's Greek for to conquer or to lord over. And laos is the laity, the common man. Uh, that's what we call, guys, that's what we call a transliteration. So when you go to German class, you've learned, I'm sure, that they've transliterated the word computer. So in German, the word computer is computer, all right? You just learned something new this morning. Now you can speak German. Just go around and yaw. Add yaw to the end of everything. It's a transliteration. So the Nicolaitans, those were the people who were lording over the common man. And you see in the, that first century church where there were people that thought, there were, there were uh, people teaching that you had to come to them to learn and to know the Word of God. You can't really understand it yourself. And what were they doing? They were teaching a doctrine and they were lording over people and, and, and stealing God's word from them. And Jesus said, I hate that way. I hate it. And so David here, he says, I hate every false way. Um, so from Psalm 119, we see that vain thoughts, that falsehood ought to be hated. But on the flip side of that, God's word is to be loved. God's word is to be loved. Um, he says in Psalm 119, well, we can go back there quickly. Psalm 119, our text says, I hate vain thoughts. But thy law do I love. And in verse 163, if you turn over there, he says, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. And so for a New Testament believer, um, look at this, because this will help us to apply this verse. It's, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. The Word of God says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now let me stop right there. What warfare are we in that he's talking about? The spiritual warfare. You guys remember from Ephesians, he says, uh, take, gird your loins about with the truth. Put on the helmet of salvation and take uh, the, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are in a spiritual battle. So this week, you're going to be in a spiritual battle. There will be temptations that come at your life. And we need to, to have on that armor. And there are some other things that he says, other ways in which we can fight. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Don't you wish in a spiritual warfare, when you look at, uh, we have some amazing missiles and guidance systems in our military. I was watching a military special, uh, even within, there was a couple years ago on this one. But we have missiles that are so sophisticated, they can purposely launch them off course and get them back on course and blow stuff up. That is cool. I mean, imagine that, you know, and you see sometimes these guys, uh, uh, the military, they'll be in these, they'll be flying drones and it looks like they're playing Xbox. You know, they got an Xbox controller there 
It's amazing the sophistication of our carnal weapons. But that's not how we fight a spiritual battle. How do we fight a, in a spiritual battle? Well, he, he gives it to us here and he says in verse number four, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, there are strongholds that no nuclear weapon can bring down. Think about that. There are strongholds. There are imaginations that cannot be defeated by a missile. They can only be defeated, verse number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are people in this world that believe they ha- there is a stronghold in their life of a belief in something that is not true. They have vain thoughts. There are people in this world that have imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And there is no physical weapon that's going to change that. But you know, there's a great spiritual sword that can cut to man's heart and radically change him. You know, there are Muslims that are teaching their children that it would be the most amazing thing that they could do to blow themselves up and to take some Christians with them. And there's no physical weapon that's going to change that ideology in their head. But you know what? We have the sword of the Spirit And by getting those people the gospel and them receiving the truth and being born again, those strongholds, those imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God can be brought down. That's an amazing promise. You know that neighbor that you've got, that they're stuck in their religion, that they have been in and their parents have been in and their grandparents have been in and their great-grandparents have been in. And back to the time of Mephibosheth, they've been in that religion. You know, there's no physical thing that we can do to that person to change their heart. But there is an amazing spiritual weapon that can change it all. And you know what I love? Every one of us in here today is evidence that the Word of God can bring down a stronghold. Because there was a day in your life when you had vain thoughts. There was a day in your life when you thought you were on your way to heaven because you're a good person. There was a day in your life when you thought you were on your way to heaven because you were part of a church, because you had been baptized or sprinkled as a baby. There was a day in which there were, there were vain thoughts in your heart. There was a stronghold in your life. And somebody preached the words of Scripture. And as you heard that, the Holy Spirit worked in your heart and said, you know what? No, your works are not good enough. That all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And you heard the preaching of the cross. And you saw that we have an amazing God, an amazing Savior that loves even you and me. And He was willing to lay down His life and then rise from the dead and declare that He is the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And there was a stronghold in your heart that came down that day. When you by faith said, God, all right, your word is true. My thoughts, what I'm thinking, God, it's just vanity. And Lord, 
what you said. I believe it. And that stronghold came down. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then I'm sure that as a believer, there were days in your life going through discipleship, memorizing verses, sitting in a pew, that even as a saved person, you still had some strongholds. And you thought, you know what? I am not going to listen to this bonehead that I'm married to, and I ain't submitting. (laughs) There was a day in your life when you're sitting there thinking, this woman... There was a time when you were sitting there thinking, I think I have the stupidest parents that anybody's ever been given. There was a stronghold in your life. You know, there were some strongholds in my life as a teenager. You know, I used to think this kind of music was awesome. (laughs) That was a stronghold in my life, man. And you know what? The only thing that changed that was this book. When I saw that, oh, a believer, he ought to be an example in faith and charity and spirit and purity. Okay, maybe I ought to be an example. And there was a stronghold that came down because of the preaching of the Word of God and you surrendered to it. You submitted to it. Don't you love how God can change your life? And He still wants to. As as you sit in here this morning, maybe there's a stronghold in your life. Maybe something that God's been dealing with you about for a while. And you just are being stubborn. And the Lord says, you know what? We're going to cast that down through my words and you being obedient to that. Verse 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here's for us believers, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we begin to think something that is a vain thought, that is, a, 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 that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And we, through the Scripture and through obedience to God's Word, through the Holy Spirit, we bring that thought and we capture it. You catch it. You bring it into captivity. Um, if I remember right, I think I just recently heard a statistic that in, I think it was in the, in the Revolutionary War, more people died from being put into prison camps than they did in actual being shot by a bullet. Because those, those conditions were just awful. And we need to take those thoughts into captivity and bring them to the obedience of Christ. And we'll find how to do that in God's Word. So bringing those thoughts into captivity and bringing them to the obedience of Christ. So God's Word is to be loved. And He says, I hate and abhor lying, but Thy law do I love. So the strongholds, they can be cast down through God's Word. But then let's look at this. Back at Psalm 119 and verse 114. Psalm 119, verse 114. He says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. You know, do you ever feel like you need a hiding place from the world? And Jesus told us we're going to be in it, but he doesn't want us to be of it. But have you ever just wanted to hide from the corruption, from from the insanity of, of a godless culture? David here, he said, God, thou art my hiding place. Spurgeon said this, 
To his God, he ran for shelter from vain thoughts. There he hid himself away from their tormenting intrusions. And in the solemn silence of the soul, he found God to be his hiding place. When he called into the world, if he could not be alone with God as his hiding place, he could have uh, the Lord with him as his shield. And by this means, he could ward off the attacks of wicked suggestions. You know, as you're out in the world, the Lord can be your shield. And by faith in him, that's actually one of the, uh, we talked about it a minute ago, that's one of our, the parts of our armor is to have faith in God. That's a shield against the attacks of the devil and the attacks of this world. But he found God as his shield. Uh, Abraham, the Lord told Abraham after he had gone and, and fought against this battle of the kings. And he, he, he did a recon mission and went back and got Lot. I'm telling you, the Bible is full of stuff that the world cannot mimic. It's amazing. Check out what Abraham did in, in Genesis 14 on your own. But in Genesis 15... After he gets back from rescuing Lot, he says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And you know, God is a shield, and we're going to find this out prophetically for his people at the, at the end of the tribulation. Um, uh, let's go ahead and look at that right now. We're going to look, and this is where I'm going to take this. As you look at this psalm, there are some things that are going to happen in the future, there, there, this is a prophetic. These are prophetic instances. Uh, look at Matthew chapter twenty-four. Matthew chapter twenty-four. And as soon as you have Matthew twenty-four, look at Revelation. Get Revelation twelve. We're going to read these back to back quickly. I want to, and you'll see where this makes sense. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born." And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. All right, so very quickly, we are introduced to three people. You have the woman, you have the dragon, and you have this man-child. All right, the woman, we see here, it's the Jews. Because the, the, her child is a man who would rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know that's prophetic of Jesus Christ. He's wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. And that he will rule over this entire world. And then this dragon, we know that old serpent is who? Satan. It's the devil. And so this dragon, look at this, uh, verse number 5. Uh, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. Verse number 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's that three and a half years of the tribulation. So the Jews are going to come under immense persecution by Antichrist and Satan working through this world system. And God has prepared a place for them to flee to. Uh, if you look, look, now look at the passage in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24 and in verse 15. Lord uses a time word here. He says, When, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation... Spoken of by the prophet. Now, what in the world is that? You know, 
That's an, uh, that's a, um, that's an instance that happens in Daniel where what is happening there is Antichrist is, has seated himself in the rebuilt temple and claims to be God and the world worships him and falls down before him and worships him as God in the temple in Jerusalem. God calls that the abomination of desolation. And the Lord says, when you see that, when you see it stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. You know, he's saying, no, no go bags here. You just get out of the house. As for all of our preppers here. Then let him uh, which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is on the field return back to take his clothes. And woe to them that are given with child and, and to them that give uh, suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever will be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So prophetically, you have the, 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 the tribulation, the rapture is the next event on the calendar. We're just waiting for it as believers. After the rapture, the tribulation, that seven-year period is going to initiate. For the first three and a half years, Antichrist pretty much makes peace with the world. And he, he signs that peace treaty. Halfway through the tribulation, he goes back on that word. And literally, the, that tribulation period, hell is broken loose upon this world. And Antichrist comes after the Jews. And the Bible says there wouldn't even be any of them left if God had not shortened those days and set a time period to that. But the Lord has provided a hiding place for them. And we see that that dragon comes after the woman and she flees to a place that's prepared for her. And Jesus said it is so important, so vital that they get out that they don't even go back and get their stuff. And he's saying, just pray that you don't have to go in the winter. And when I looked it up on Google Earth, it's an amazing, now the government knows that I know where Jerusalem and Petra, they're going to go to Petra, Jordan. And, he's, and it's about the distance from here to Lexington, Kentucky. Now, that's not a bad drive, but I don't know that they get to drive there. And man, that is a haul. And so they get out and they get away to a place that God's prepared for them. Um, so that's an amazing thing that prophetically. And then uh, look back with me, if you would, at Psalm 119. He says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. We see that God will be that there for them in the tribulation. God will be their hiding place. And then look at verse 115. He says, Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Depart from me, ye evildoers. And what we see here is that um, it makes me think of when the Lord says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And there, there is prophetically coming a time in which the wicked are separated from the righteous. Uh, look with me at Psalm 1. Look with me at Psalm 1. It's amazing how uh, simple this psalm is, but the great truth that it teaches. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. 
Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so there is coming a day in which there will be a great separation between those who are believers and those who are the chaff. And they go off into eternal judgment. So uh, David there prophetically is saying uh, that he wants these, these wicked men to depart from him. Um, the Lord, you know, when he was tempted by Satan, he said, get thee hence, Satan. Just told him to get away. Um, and, and, and Jesus would not bow to those temptations. Um, then look at uh, Psalm 119. Look at verse 116. Verse 116. He says, Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. You know, I said at the beginning of this that there's never been a believer who has trusted and followed God's word. And in the end, that it wasn't better for them. Now, in this life, they may have died. We saw last uh, Sunday night, um, Hebrews 11, that there were people who, or a couple Sunday nights ago, that there were people who suffered persecution. They were sawn asunder. They, they, they died for the faith. And we just have to simply remember that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so in the end, you know how it worked out for them? They got to be with Jesus. That's how it gets to be for a believer. Even if they suffer persecution on this earth, we will be with the Lord. And he says, and I want us to focus on this part of the verse. He says, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Let's look at God's promise to you about never being ashamed of him. Let's look at this. Um, Look with me at, let's do this. Let's start in Romans, and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're going to see this about the Jews, and then we're going to see this about us as believers. Romans chapter 9 and verse, let's start in verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Right? So the, the, the Israel as a people, they tried to be righteous by the law, the Ten Commandments that God had given them. But the Bible says that by the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. They didn't find righteousness. But us Gentiles that didn't have the Word of God, when we heard it and believed, we received God's righteousness by faith. So verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. And this is amazing, uh, the, the prophecy that's behind this. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 10 and verse 11. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11 I'll get a start in verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So in Christianity today, you have people that say, I'm saved. I got saved when I was... What does that mean? That means that there was a day in their life when they confessed that what God said about Jesus Christ is who Jesus Christ is. They, they, they confess. So God says, this is who Jesus Christ is. He's my son. He is God in the flesh. He's existed from eternity past, and He died on the cross and rose again the third day. And God has shown us from the Scriptures that that's true. And they confessed in their heart. They knew that that was true, and they agreed with God about what He said about Christ. And then they asked Him to save them, trusting 
in Him and Him alone to save them. He says that if you believe with your heart, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is pivotal, it's vital to somebody being saved. And this is what's so amazing. As you're giving people the gospel, make an emphasis of the resurrection. There's only one of two responses to that. It's either faith and belief in Him, well, yeah, He did that for me, I want to accept Him. Or it's, oh, that's crazy. There's only one of two responses to that. So uh, make a big point about the resurrection because the Lord does. And He says here that, Verse 11, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, let's go back and look at this. Um, look at Isaiah with me, if you would. Isaiah 45 and verse 17. We mentioned the tribulation period a moment ago, and Antichrist is going to try to wipe out the Jews. But at the end of the tribulation, the Lord's going to return. And he tells us here what he's going to do for those Jews. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 17. He says, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. He says, When I come back and you are saved, then you're not going to be ashamed. Because there's such a contrast between what happens to the Jews and what happens to these unbelievers. Look at the uh, same, same book, Isaiah. Look at chapter 49 and verse 23. 49 and verse 23. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And then look with me, if you would, at Joel chapter 2. Joel, it's a little book there, but before, uh, right before Amos, tucked, but it's tucked in there between Hosea and Amos. Joel chapter 2. And do this, uh, hold Joel and get Zechariah. Joel chapter 2 and Zechariah 14. Look at Zechariah 14. You've got Antichrist halfway through the tribulation. He tries to begin to wipe out the Jews. Um, but God interrupts time. And we get to see that here, just how amazing this is when the Lord returns. Now, this isn't the rapture. It's when the Lord comes to establish His kingdom. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city." Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. So God Himself gathers these armies of the world together against Israel and against Himself in Jerusalem. And verse 4 says, And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the, I'm telling you, this is way cooler, guys, than Thor. You know, Thor comes down and... And He's got it. 
Jesus is going to make that look like child's play. He's going to make Thor look like he came out of the nursery. All right. When Jesus comes back, he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and he splits those mountains. It says, And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And Jesus Christ gets to walk straight into Jerusalem. And he, he says, so now look at Joel with that context because these two passages go together. Joel chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. And think about this, Antichrist, he thinks he's got the Jews surrounded. He thinks he's about to snuff them out. He thinks he's got them. They're going to take, take them out, these people of God. Joel chapter 2, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. So he's describing this army that's going to come against his people. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them. And behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pain. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one on his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. You see that? That's a pretty mighty army coming. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. And the sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For His camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Look over with me at verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Look down at verse uh, 26. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be, what? Ashamed. And he reiterates it, verse 27. And you shall know that I am the Lord in the midst of, and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never, what? Be ashamed. This world in their rebellion against God form armies that no man can stand against. And they come against God's people. And God says, don't worry. You're not going to be ashamed. Because I'm going to descend from heaven. And let's go to Revelation chapter uh, 18. Revelation chapter 18. You've got to see this. I'm sorry, it's Revelation 19. These armies of the world are gathered together against Jerusalem. And he says in verse number 11, And I saw heaven opened, 
You remember the Lord said He was going to sound an alarm and He was going to go get His army? And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. We sang it this morning, crown him with many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that weapon of our spiritual warfare, the Word of God, comes out of his mouth. With it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake, uh, a lake burning with fire and brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Jesus Christ comes back and destroys those armies and casts the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire, takes Satan, binds him for a thousand years, has one of his angels actually, says, hey, go that, that old serpent, the dragon, go take care of Satan. And he binds Satan for a thousand years and Christ reigns and rules on that throne for a thousand years. But you know what the Lord says about those armies that are with him? You know what the Lord says to His people? You won't be ashamed. When our Savior comes back to establish His kingdom, as a believer, you're not going to be ashamed. You and I will be with the Lord forever. And we'll get to reign with Him and rule with Him. It's just going to be amazing. And so it's amazing how prophetic this is. When you look, uh, Go ahead and look back at our text with me at Psalm 119. Look with me again at verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. The thoughts that that you and I have this morning, are they the vanity or are we casting down those strongholds in our lives through the word of God? Then thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Do you need to be upheld this morning? You know, there are times in life where you just need the Lord to hold you up. And God does that through His Word. God does that through the encouragement of other believers. God does that as you hear the preaching and teaching of His Word. He helps hold you up, hold up your spirit. When life is crashing down around you, the Lord will hold you up. And David found that in his life. He said, verse 117, Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect in thy statutes continually. But the end there, verse 116, Let me not be ashamed of my hope. 
Remember, believer, as you trust the Lord, when it's all said and done, you won't be ashamed. There's never been a believer that has stood before Jesus Christ and said, oh, man, I was really dumb to trust in you. Probably many have stood before the Lord and said, oh, God, if I, I, I knew I should have trusted you more. If I would have just believed, if I would have just followed you. The wicked, they'll be ashamed at his coming, but not us, not us. So, man, if we're not going to be ashamed of his coming, let's just not be ashamed of him today. Let's live for him. You believe the Lord. Trust him. Find in him a hiding place. Find in him a great God who can hold you up no matter what you're going through in life. But let me ask you this morning. We talked about the wicked, and I've got so much more on that tonight. There are these other verses. Can I tell you this? It never ends well for the wicked. Those who reject Christ... It does not end well for them. And they spend eternity in that lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They spend eternity there. You know, God doesn't want you to spend eternity there. And if you've never trusted in Him and asked Him to save you, you can do that this morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing word. And thank you for these promises.